Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. Today's News Talk, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show, live and direct for two hours, Monday to Friday. We're here every day during the week. And if you're tuning in on the audio streams, hello. Love you guys. Our listenership is growing by the week. Appreciate all everybody, as well as you guys in the TNT chat room there. And also, if you're watching on the new video stream, TNT is upgraded its performance to be live in Technicolor. So we're there in all our glory on the live streams on various platforms. So hopefully you can catch us on the major ones. And uh, we're doing our best to give it to you straight, calling balls and strikes, get you as close to the truth as we possibly can. That's our mission. That's our goal here at TNT. Certainly that's the goal of this show. That's what we try to do, what we endeavor to do. Now, a uh, great segment before the break, uh, independent journalist Iada Mondarelli. She's been very good on calling out propaganda and debunking a lot of the sort of fabricated reports that have been released uh, since this whole furor began on October 7th uh, in Palestine. So she's done a great job there, and you want to be following her on Twitter, actually. It's one of those key accounts uh, that you want to be keeping an eye on if you're on ex-Twitter. You definitely want to be following Iada. She's uh, got a good experience, I think, as a journalist. She's brought a lot of that into this story, and hence she's educating a lot of people. So I think that's great what she's doing. And we'll try to keep tabs on her work going forward. It, uh, it's very instructive for a lot of people. Now we're also going to be joined by another great expert in propaganda. This turned out to be Propaganda Monday here at TNT. Dr. Piers Robinson is going to join us shortly to break down the rift between the so-called COVID freedom movement uh, and those people diverging on the issue of Gaza and what's going on there. It's created a bit of a, I don't know, a fissure, if you will, a rift within the independent alternative media community and people that are, hopefully everybody's on the same page and that they wanna get to the truth, but obviously it's a very divisive and emotive topic for a lot of people. Politics overrides everything uh, often in life, unfortunately. Uh, we can't all be objective, dispassionate, you know, <laughs> journalists and philosophers, if you will. Everybody has got a political bias and being pulled in different directions because of their affiliations, because of their alignments. It's just reality. And uh, we'll talk to Piers. Always enjoy talking to him. Looking forward to this discussion in just a few minutes. Now, back to the Musk story. This is just getting more interesting. This is just news blast put out just now by Bloomberg. Bloomberg News. We can't imagine what position they'll take. Bloomberg News is basically the mouthpiece of the deep state. Uh, if you want to know what position they'll take, Bloomberg News is basically the mouthpiece of the deep state. Uh, if you want to know what the deep state's thinking, doing, planning, just follow Bloomberg and usually get a heads up on pretty much everything. And, uh, you know, in terms of COVID and the vaccine issue, they probably have put out more. They actually have a whole section of their websites dedicated to COVID and promoting vaccines. And uh, it's called Bloomberg uh, Prognosis, I think. Anyway, I subscribe to some of these uh, <laughs> newsletters. I have to. I have to. I don't enjoy reading them 
per se. I find them to be interesting, though, because it's good to know what the Washington Post, Bloomberg, and others are pushing out on a daily basis. Because then you, if you do that, like if I watch Bloomberg and I watch the Times of London, for instance, I know what the deep state is wanting to promote. So then I kind of, you can work out just by simple deconstruction and deductive reasoning what the lies are, where the propaganda lines are drawn. And it's, it's not that difficult after a while. That's why it's good to follow the mainstream. Even if you don't read everything, it's important to subscribe at least to their news alerts so you can see what they're pushing. And you know that sort of eight times, nine times out of 10, whatever they're pushing, you probably want to be going in the opposite direction because they're trying to sell you some idea or some concept that's totally morally bankrupt, so much so they need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to promote it and sell it to you. It's as simple as that. Just think of any bad product on the market that uh, you don't need. <laughs> Let's take the pharmaceutical industry that you don't need, you don't want, and it's probably not going to be good for you. They have to spend a lot of money to sell that to you, a lot. They, they invest tons and tons to get you to believe that you need it. If it was good and uh, there was no question about its effectiveness or its safety, then they wouldn't need to spend so much money marketing it. It would just sell itself. But that's not what you're dealing with here. This is, so the same with foreign policy, same with geopolitics. So the, the, the amount of resources they're pushing with this uh, Elon Musk indoctrination tour in Israel, it's kind of like the struggle session. Think of Mao's struggle sessions and just kind of amp that up to an international scale. So Bloomberg just pushed this out. This is just too good to be true. Bloomberg says, Musk Netanyahu visit massacre site amid anti-Semitism furor. Okay, so here it goes. So they're, they're, they're implicitly accusing Elon Musk of being an anti-Semite, even though he hasn't said anything anti-Semitic or anti-Israeli or anti-Jewish, but he's being called an anti-Semite. So that's the narrative. And so because of this, he has to do his penance. So he has to do a pilgrimage to Israel. He's been summoned by Netanyahu, and he's been taken on the kibbutz tour, is what the, the short of it is. It's called the October 7th tour. They've already got this, as Iada said in, in the last segment, as she so rightly pointed out. It's kind of like a mu they've already made a museum out of these kibbutzes. By the way, these are on illegally occupied Palestinian territory, just just to be clear. That's why they put a military outpost affixed to these settlements. Okay, if they, if they were legal and they shouldn't be there, they wouldn't need a military outpost attached to it. The military outpost is to protect the illegal settlers. That's what uh, the Palestinian Al-Qassam brigades and the other uh, resistance militant factions were attacking, the military outposts. The fact that there were kibbutzes attached to them was incidental, to say the least. Clearly, these were military targets. But anyway, I digress. Not too much, but I do sometimes. So here's Musk in the photo op with Netanyahu, a moment of silence. He's being lectured by some IDF kind of short, um, frumpy, uh, looks like some kind of a sergeant or something, probably an information ops guy, basically saying, probably telling him what massacres took place at this site. And uh, they probably still have the blood-stained clothes under a glass box on the ground just to preserve it in perpetuity. I mean, who knows? But this is just completely over the top. So anyway, Musk is being indoctrinated, so he's pretty much done for uh, <laughs> there. Um, and so he's going on this kibbutz tour, and he's already been framed as an anti-Semite. 
So he's there to sort of do his active contrition. And what they're doing is probably feeding him all sorts of uh, what they call, what is what they did with the journalists. They sent in people to tell them stories about things they heard or things that they claim they saw or thing or the aftermath of something that they thought happened at that place. And so the, the journalists in, in the West are getting the second and third hand uh, testimonies about the uh, horrors and the atrocities of October 7th, the Israel's 9-11, they're calling it. I mean, to compare this to 9-11 is ridiculous, but they're doing it. The fact that they're doing that should be like a red flag for people that they're trying a little bit too hard to basically inflate this as sort of the worst atrocity since the Holocaust, as if there have been bigger massacres than even the Holocaust since the Second World War, just to say, bigger pogroms, bigger tragedy, human tragedies. So to compare this to anything in history as if it's significant, when we find out later that the Israelis have arguably killed more civilians than Hamas did on October 7th, does that not change the narrative at all? Doesn't that change? Shouldn't that change the story? Shouldn't people like reevaluate how they're framing this whole situation? And then can they really justify the mass murder of Palestinians, 20,000 so far? By, by a modern is, uh, Israeli military armed by the U.S., using it indiscriminately in densely populated civilian areas. It's a war crime by anyone's definition. So how can you equate these two things? You can't. So that's that's why they've sent Elon Musk over, because on on X Twitter platform, the uh, the truth about October 7th is burying the propaganda. So he's over there. They're trying to win back his hearts and mind. Okay, win back the heart and mind of Elon Musk so that he might march back to San Francisco and enact a more stern and stringent censorship regime on the platform and probably have, he's probably going to agree to have Israeli liaisons. Yes, that's right. Israeli liaisons uh, embedded inside Twitter. Once that happens, it's over. Okay, you can't get them out. Facebook has these. In fact, Facebook got caught taking instructions from the Israeli government to delete Palestinian accounts. This has been going on for years. It's been reported in lots of media outlets, including the uh, Intercept and others. So having that direct line, Israel's enjoyed having that line in, on Facebook and pretty much expunged any meaningful opposition to Israel and the things that it's doing illegally and whatnot. Um, they've pretty much erased that on Facebook. They probably have a similar liaison in YouTube, on Google as well, bearing searches, censoring videos, applying strikes to people as they did with COVID vaccines and so forth. So that, that to me is probably the most practical reason why Elon Musk has been summoned there. They want control of the information space, period. Okay, it's kind of obvious at this point, and yet this charade, which is playing out in the mainstream media, like this pen, this pensive look of Musk looking down on the ground, is Netanyahu's pointing at something. Uh, this is absolute pure propaganda. My question is this: Why isn't Elon Musk visiting Gaza? Very simple. 
or maybe he's not allowed to visit Gaza. That in itself tells you everything you need to know. Let's take a break real quick here with TNT, Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. When we come back, we're going to connect with Dr. Piers Robinson in Europe to talk about this issue, but more broadly, how this these narratives clash and how this is dividing people politically and what we can do to close that rift. All this and more on the other side. Stay right there. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, Certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, near 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. (laughs) When the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church.
This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT, today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for rejoining us. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. If you're listening to us on the audio streams or back on the podcasting playbacks after the program, we appreciate your listenership. And if you're watching us on the new TNT video live stream, welcome. A lot of people are now watching us live and direct in Technicolor on video. So this is a new quality feature that TNT has rolled out in recent weeks. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to make making subtle improvements uh, to the system as well as we go forward. So we're excited about that. I hope you are too. And uh, to continue our conversation, this unofficially become Propaganda Monday here uh, on the Patrick Henningsen Show, but I want to welcome a very special guest onto the program, Dr. Piers Robinson, very much a pioneer in propaganda studies. His website, Propaganda and Focus, has become a type of a one-stop shop for everything you want to know about propaganda and narratives as they relate to geopolitical events and current events today. He's also the founder of the Organization for Propaganda studies another great organization his work is legendary in this department he's joining us on the line right now from europe piers how are you i'm well how are you i'm very well indeed i know that you haven't missed a step but there's so uh, plenty of important things to cover in this area and i want to uh roll the ball out here piers on a tweet which you've uh, put out recently uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter. And it reads this, the problems we face include both a drive towards technocratic global governance and a belligerent Western-centric military-industrial complex. The former manifests itself in the biosecurity regime, i.e. the WHO, pandemic preparedness, etc. the latter in the West's state of permanent war i.e. Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, and Syria. I think I know where you're heading with this, Piers, and I can say many of us have observed a type of a rift which has kind of appeared as a result of this recent conflict that's flared up post-October 7th, where our former colleagues uh, in the war for the truth uh, regarding COVID, the vaccine issue, etc., there's been a divergence I think, in this community over this contentious issue of what's happened in Gaza. And uh, you're basically outlining here the bigger picture. But uh, go ahead, Piers. Yes, we, we are living through um, tumultuous times. And as as Mark Crispin Miller sort of argued or stated a few years back, there's a, there's a rolling thunder of propaganda and psyops and events going on at the moment. So kicking off March 2020 or earlier with COVID-19, segueing into the Ukraine crisis and war, which is dominating, which almost pushed COVID out of the way, and then through to what we have at the moment with the Israeli actions in Gaza against the Palestinians, and all of the, not peripheral, all of the linked, broader geopolitical uh, crises which might develop out of that in terms of conflict in the Middle East, you know, the neocons are pushing for an attack on Iran and so on. And, you know, as all of us have, have navigated through all of these major events, which, you know, for the younger viewers and listeners, you know, these, this is, these are unprecedented times. Um, I don't think people such as you and I have ever been quite so busy and, and so on. Um, so we've got very big events occurring 
all associated with a lot of propaganda. And it's very difficult for people to keep their bearings. I think in a way, sort of, we think of these things as psyops, you know, part of the, the logic of a psyop is to throw people off balance. And obviously, with the conflict in the Middle East, with Gaza and Israel, we've got divisions emerging within what you describe as the COVID resistance, um, because of that. And you're also having, I, I think, what there is, is that there's a struggle to get, sort of try to fully picture what is actually happening. And that tweet was simply a first step. And I'm, I'm working on this with a number of people at the moment, um, who you know, um, and uh, I'll develop it into a full article. But it's, it's trying to sort of make clear that you know, we're up against power centers, which are, there are parallel processes in a way which are possibly going on at the moment. And so as you described in, in terms of talking about my tweet, we have something which is quite familiar to a lot of us on the left or the anti-imperial left, and we still want to use those terms, if those terms really mean anything. We're experiencing a pretty familiar sort of component of Western belligerence. Um, the wars that we've seen since the 9-11 event, and of course this goes back you know, to the 20th century, but let's just try and narrow the bounds of the conversation. We've had regime change wars, which were instigated following was essentially a false flag of 9-11 and leading to multiple wars taking us to where we are now. And there's obviously been this doubling down in the Ukraine, pushing to a point of proxy war against Russia. And now we have what we're seeing in the Middle East with the potential of, of really a, a, a huge conflict within the region. And, and those are kind of familiar actors to people such as you and I and a lot of us and a lot of people who identify themselves as of the left. This is the problem with the Western military industrial complex. It's the empire, it's the Western empire. And it's 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 almost a sort of last chance saloon, I think, in terms for the Western Empire. And so power centers in the West are driving these conflicts, military industrial complex, etc. And that's all real. It's very real for people in Gaza and very real for the people in Israel, what is happening. Um, and but at the same time that is happening, we also have, because we've just had COVID and we can't forget the last sign-up, as it were. Um, you know, that has occurred and rolling out from COVID-19 has been this broader biosecurity agenda, which we see manifesting itself with the World Health Organization and the International Health Regulations, a pandemic preparedness agenda, essentially. And that's a live thing which is rolling on and linked with that, I would argue, is also the censorship regimes that we're seeing, which are manifesting themselves, not, not just the... Uh, the censorship industrial complex, which Taibi et al. talk about, but also the legislation that we're seeing, the Digital Services Act in the European Union. And, and that's creating an architecture of censorship. Um, so you've got two things going on there at, at a very broad level, the pandemic preparedness agenda, the, effectively the codification of um, the kind of the lockdown policies or restrictions and civil rights that we've had, then being protected by censorship machines and so that process and some commentators and critics have you know talked about the biosecurity agenda global governance global elites um those elements are still in play two things in play and i think as much as it's a difficult thing to do um we need to try to keep 
arrows, balls as we move forward um, and not fall into the trap of over fixating on one at the expense of the other. And I suppose one concern, as, as I think you alluded to in, in our messages, is with this sort of independent alt community, whatever you want to call it, or the resistance. Um, you know, there is one line of thinking that, that we shouldn't pay attention to what what's happening in the that this is all a subset of, of this broader process and so on and in that you can easily lose sight of the very real conflict going on um, with the people in Gaza um, and what's happening to the Palestinians and we we don't want to do that and so I, I think that the aim the aim that I'll try and take the, the work that I'm on the article I'm working on at the moment is into trying to understand this broader power structure that we're up against. And, you know, perhaps from a position of ignorance, but all researchers in a sense start from that position of it, or should start from a position of not knowing for sure what's going on. You know, we, we have global elements, we have global power structures, which we can observe and identify, um, but we also have geopolitics going on as well which is very real and quite how these match together how much overlap there is between say for example the global governance agenda and that of the more familiar western military industrial complex is an interesting question you know one thesis is that this is a genuinely global um sort of uh, strategy which is linked in with concepts such as technocracy and it links in all the major players in the world and, and they're all on board with this etc that's one argument out there another possibility is that actually the global governance and the biosecurity regimes is very much power projection emanating out of the western heart um so that's another possibility another possibility in all of this is that you know, the tools of technocracy, whether it's central bank digital currency or digital ID, all of these technologies, you know, might well be uh, seductive to powerful blocks around the world. So, you know, they're not so much that they're operating in coordination. It's just that this technology is there and they're all potentially seduced by it and so on. So that that's where I'm going with this. And, and I think it is reason why I decided to pay attention to this and to try to start to write some produce some material on this working with Vanessa in fact um is to try to um really give people just a, a way of keeping their eye on both of these processes and recognizing both of these processes um and not allowing sort of you know to put it bluntly not allowing that the, the crimes that we're seeing going on in the Middle East at the moment to be completely swept under the carpet or lost in the shuffle. Um, so that's 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 the point. I, I hope that's clear enough. These are evolving ideas, but um, I think this is an important thing that we we all need to get our heads around. In in terms of the the, the fundamental mechanics of propaganda, I always want to get your thought on this: how the events of October seventh have been quickly branded as 10-7 or this was our 9-11 or in the words of i don't know if it was blinken or someone from the israeli uh, government said it's 9-11 times 10 but this this idea of framing it as israel's 9-11 and also you know equating it to the holocaust etc but um what are your thoughts on that because i thought that was interesting because not just about the words 9-11 or the numbers but what 9-11 was used to sell afterwards but uh what are your your thoughts on this 
Yeah, I, I think what we have, what we have with COVID and with what happened on October the 7th and what we happened on 9-11, we have these events where, you know, there is always, and I'm going to be very, very careful here, you know, we know a lot more about 9-11 as an event, which is instigated than we do necessarily about COVID, although we're learning a lot more. And I know that some people are looking very closely at um October 7 but what, what you have is is that you have the this process through which events are seized upon and used and utilized and then propagandized and so um you can see where Israel is going with those comparisons you can see the kind of what they perceive to be the mobilizing potential of that and and this is what we're, we're having time and time again and this is why i think it's always useful to think about the, the structural deep event ideas we've spoken before peter dale scott's idea of of the way in which events can be either instigated or exploited by political actors to push forward their agendas and so people are focused on thinking well we, we're for example the war on terror we're just fighting islamic fundamentalist terrorism when uh, in, in reality, they were using that fear and that narrative in order to pursue regime change wars against countries which weren't involved in 9-11 and so on. So it's this manipulation of events. And, and this is something which I've tried to communicate in recent years. This is a very important part of propaganda. Um, and, you know, that there is a case to be made, and this is the case being made by people who are very critical of Israel, is that whatever happened on October 7 and because I have not had the time to look carefully. I'm not going to pass judgment in, in terms of what exactly happened. But clearly, the criticism that Israel is, has, has this as an opportunity to follow through with military action in Gaza, which is it going to lead to the full expulsion of the Palestinians from Gaza? I assume that's a possibility. It's certainly leading to a very high level of, of death. And, and so on. Um, and that's what we've got in play. And this is what we've all been living through with events. The same case can be made of COVID-19. So I think in propaganda terms, this is the, the thing we can learn from this is, is that, you know, propaganda is, is about action in the real world as much as it is about a, a, a fluffy PR campaign pushing one agenda or another. It's also about, as I say, sometimes instigating acts, sometimes exploiting events. And um, and of course, it's very powerful, you know, action in the real world, death, destruction and so on, um, focuses people's minds. It's a powerful way of communicating effectively. Um, so I, I think this is the one of the things that we need to, I think, publics at large need to really start to get their heads around. Um, you can make it overcomplicated, can't you, by sort of bringing in lots of abstract theory and so on but it's the old saying that never let a good crisis go to waste in politics this is bread and butter and and you know you can call it conspiracies if you want or you can just call it sort of rational acting by political actors who seize upon x y and z in order to um, achieve broader political goals it happens all the time um so I, I think so. I'm going on slightly too long there, but that that's the big learning issue I think around this: how these events get used in a way you suggested, get framed in a particular way, and then used in order to pursue um, other agendas and justify agendas. Well, I you know I've been following uh, the the kind of debunking of some of the uh, initial reports on 
October 7th, uh, the beheaded babies, obviously anything that has a baby in it is usually a very emotive theme that's used to, uh, I think, sell uh, in escalation. Certainly that's been the case with Iraq. But going all the way back to even the Beirut uh, civil war in the 1980s, there was a the, 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 the baby with no arms. There's all these sort of legends that have come through the media and as always it features a baby. So we have these stories, and the, but the difference here is it's been – the gray zone has done some great job, uh, some great work on this as well. Max Blumenthal and his team. And what, so, but with, with Syria, for instance, or in the early Ukrainian part of the conflict post Maidan, the, the mainstream media had these kind of third party proxies like Bellingcat and other sort of open source, you know, researchers that helped to bolster the mainstream narrative or the U.S. government narrative or the NATO narrative. Um, and so here you just have the IDF, you just have the Israeli government is feeding directly to mainstream media. So it's slightly different in that respect. So it's not like being laundered through these um, other so-called so, so independent people like uh, Bellingcat, for instance, which we found out was obviously being funded by various Western government institutions and so forth, um, and and to, to, to create narratives. You don't have that here, Pierce, but you have the same phenomenon with COVID, Ukraine, Syria, whereby the mainstream media and government are of one voice, one narrative, and on the issue of Gaza, it's the same, but you, but you have this massive divergence uh, that used that seemed to be unifying seemingly disparate political factions. Not the case here. Speak to this dynamic. Well, I, I agree with you that the, 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 as it were, the, the messaging is coming direct in the situation with Gaza and Israel, and and maybe that's a, a function of of the the level of crisis there is. I mean, I think that. Um, you know, without getting into who might have been driving, etc. You know, so we are at a point of crisis in the Middle East, and we're at a point of crisis for the West. You know, the, the proxy war in Ukraine is being lost, and so you know, the usual suspects in terms of the the array of NGOs and seemingly independent uh, actors such as Bellingcat and so on. You know, almost not quite had time to get them all in place and so on with this. This is this is rolling crisis, etc. So I think that explains that. This point about the divisions, I mean, I mean, put simply, with COVID-19, um, and I don't like using the right left hand because and we need to get beyond it, but we just need to work with that for a few seconds. With COVID-19, the left was very bad at picking up what was going on. They seem to have forgotten all of their Foucault reading or classes and and so on, and big pharma, etc., um, and bought into a lot of the propaganda surrounding COVID nineteen. Whereas a lot of the, and a lot of the resistance came from people more to the right, um, who who were sort of strong proponents of, of autonomy, libertarians, and so on. And 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 that that resistance did succeed in I think bridging between some people on the left who are waking up to what was going on, and then quite a large number of people on the right, and getting quite a lot of people to actually start to think more openly about their starting assumptions and worldviews. And and you see this kind of, sort of almost you know, healthy development I think of people just getting beyond left right and seeing it as us the people versus a very corrupt political structure, which is what I think we have. 
And the problem with, with Gaza and with Israel, obviously, you know, this is a highly propagandized issue. Um, and the lobbying and the propaganda surrounding it is very, very powerful. And that has created a division, as you suggest, in the COVID resistance, which tends to be towards the right. But it is a split. It's not, you know, there are plenty of people in the COVID resistance who, who are challenging the Israeli government very robustly and others who are not. So there is a real division there. But the, the sort of people on the left have sort of, you know, sort of come back on duty again and recognize that there's a big problem here. This is being driven, this is nefarious and it's being driven by military industrial complex and all those broader political agendas and so on. Now, so we have, a, we are in a state of divisions. I mean, I, I would be stupid enough to make a prediction. My, my, my guess is that because of the scale of the action that Israel is carrying out in Gaza, and because of the extent to which there is global support of unprecedented um, for the Palestinians, in a way, I think this argument is going to be won and recognized. And I think out of this will emerge agreements between a lot of the resistance about what I'm talking about in, in the tweet and what I'll be writing about in the article that, you know, we've got big problems there. We've got big problems with our own military industrial complex and our alliances in the Middle East and so on. And, and the injustice to the Palestinians, which is, is longstanding and, and very clear to demonstrate that argument will be won, as will the argument and the recognition of the problems of the global governance process that we have underway and so I, i'm i'm thinking that you know we are at this kind of crunch point where things are becoming very visible as you say the propaganda is coming direct from the israeli government and, and so on and the actors involved in, in a way that we haven't seen so and, and i think that this is a, a, a waking up moment for a lot of people certainly globally how this then all plays out say this say if the western military industrial complex the western empire really is at this hard stop now and i suspect that it is um and then we then emerge we move into a world where we have okay russia china BRICS, and so on exerting their influence then the question is going to be you know how much we can maintain awareness of global citizens of the problems surrounding the entire global governance um strategies whether it's cbdc's or pandemic preparedness agenda. Um, so in a way, you know, that battle is going to be there waiting for us. Um, but I think, I hope perhaps as well, that, that emerging out of this current division, there will be that strengthening. You know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, the, the blunt reality is, is that the injustice to the Palestinians has been very, very clear for a very, very long time. Um, and, you know, the problem isn't going to go away. And we are at the kind of crunch point with that now. And I, and I hope that enough people, you know, within Israel who, who do share this similar view are able to, you know, work towards pushing their government to change course, which has to change course along with the West. The West has to change course. We, you know, we have to stop what we're doing in Ukraine. We have to give up on trying to overthrow the Syrian government. We have to give up on projecting power as if we were an empire with overwhelming military, economic and ideational power, because we don't have any of those three anymore in the way that we used to. So I think that with that kind of you know, material context changing, I, I, I think um, we get that out of the way. 
we do yes and this is where i'm sort of moving over to the people who are saying look what about the technocrats what about the global um global capitalism um global authoritarianism yeah we've got a real problem with um these international organizations who are rolling out policies and we're having it from the un now right we would they're talking about essentially disinformation and controlling conspiracy theories etc this is very very dangerous um and and that fight is going to have to be continued um let's so talk about I that let's, 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 of where we are and where we might be going um on this let's talk about that um i'm going to take a break here i don't want to come back because i think there's some things that have happened peers that have actually shifted uh the the perspective on this that actually could be positive going forward i'm here with dr Piers robinson he is the founder of propaganda and focus and the organization for propaganda studies we're talking about the shifting of narratives the 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 clash of narratives as it were and finding ways that we can all come together to get a better understanding of how our world works you're listening to tnt today's news talk i'm patrick henningson your host we'll be right back in just a moment De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The biggest weather news is what is about to happen in Europe. I saw another one of those pictures of Greta Thunberg protesting today. I guess today is like week 300 or something of the climate strike where kids are allowed to be truant and, uh, you know, to protest climate. But she was all bundled up and I was like, well, wait a minute. Looks awfully cold over there. And uh, were there fossil fuels used in the making of those clothes that you have on? But I want to get serious about this. The fact that we are getting such a cold blast that is coming in and this was telegraphed with those big storms and the reason you see what's going on in the weather today is because all the weathermen start screaming and yelling about climate change instead of understanding the same thing happened in 2009 and they went into the deep freeze over there. But it's a serious situation. You know why? Well, first of all, the implications of that is that the United States is going to get very cold. Now, it's cold right now, but I'm talking about what could be really cold weather, severe cold, in the month of January. Because there's probably going to be a lot of snow in the United States during the month of December, especially after the 20th. So what we saw in 2009, 2010 was Europe got it in 2009 in December. And then the U.S. had their famous Snowmageddon. And that occurred later in January and February. It'd be a little bit earlier this year, probably, looking at the overall pattern. But think about this. You're going to get that grid in Europe tested now. And especially Germany. Germany looks like ground zero for the worst weather, the most snow, it's going to be a little bit colder relative to averages up where Greta lives. But Germany is going to be in bad shape here the next 10 to 20 days. But again, then you have to worry about the rest of the winter. You see what I'm saying? So we're going to have some things push come to shove, so to speak, coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And in fact, the next couple of months, because unlike last winter, I don't think this is backing off this year. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bustardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off.
Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast today. On Monday, we're getting off to a quick start in terms of tackling some of the biggest stories that are coming down in your news feeds and happening globally right now. Very pleased to be joined uh, on the line with Dr. Piers Robinson. Uh, we're talking about the issue of propaganda, but also narratives, um, narratives that shape the political landscape and also narratives that either keep society together or divide society. Uh, Piers, there's a lot to be positive about, actually. And one of the silver linings, if I could say so, and uh, that I, I don't mean to downplay the absolute human tragedy uh, that we witnessed since October 7th uh, in Gaza. But uh, one thing I have noticed, which is that just the over-the-top nature of what we're watching in real time and the the level of, of propaganda and walkbacks in the mainstream media, if you think of how hard they worked to sell the Duma chemical weapons attack, that's an issue that you did and your team have done such great work on, groundbreaking work on exposing and debunking what effectively was a hoax, but they had to work so hard and you had to work hard to get people to understand it. But now people are being able to see this in real time. There's a whole new generation of social media users, peers, that are seeing the sort of lies play out and be debunked literally in minutes. And it's almost like it puts the work that you did in such perspective and all these accusations of, you know, Syria bombing hospitals or the Russians bombing the maternity hospital in Mariupol, for instance. It just shows you how ridiculous and how hard they had to work to, like, literally conjure up an atrocity and then sell it to the West. And now we're looking at this horror show in Gaza. There's no other way to describe it. But it kind of has put things into perspective. And I think, Piers, it seems like the mainstream media have been so thoroughly discredited this time that I, I don't think that people can unsee what they've seen. But I, I'm positive about this. If there's a silver lining in all of this, Piers, to me, that might be it. What are your uh, your thoughts on just the wider perspective of those past events that you have uh, intimate knowledge and involvement in and what we're seeing now? How do these things relate? Yeah, I think you're correct. I think that we have now gone through so many major events which have been twisted, exploited, propagandized, and the stock of knowledge within the public has increased over time. And plus, we're also at a crisis. We are in a crisis in the West. Um, I think that's visible on the streets. It's visible within our political systems and so on. And I think, you know, that opens up and especially in tandem with that is the collapse in trust of corporate legacy media, um, the importance and significance of independent media, um, which is, is extremely important now. All of this means that I think people are in a position to really start to recognize all of these problems. And, you know, an example earlier in the year, of course, was the JFK assassination and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. being very, very blunt about um, his assessment that the CIA were responsible. You know, this is these are groundbreaking things in a way for members of the political elite, which Kennedy certainly is, to be saying out loud. We've had similar kind of emergence with the 9-11 issue, um, whether it's Tucker Carlson or the Jimmy Dawes or Russell Brand, et cetera. Um, 
raising this issue. And, and I think that, yes, you know, in the context of, of, of the broader crisis, but it's, it's more that it's the chickens coming home to roost. It's the fact that you can spin and you can uh, mislead publics for quite a long time. But at some point, um, you know, people start to realize that they're being deceived. Double standards, you point out, are really, really painful to look at in a way if, if you compare I was discussing earlier today with somebody about was Putin was referred to the International Criminal Court over the removal of um, some children from Ukraine early on. And, and you compare that to what we're seeing in, in Gaza and so on. I mean, the double standards are, are very, very obvious. The double standards of the West proclaiming to be a force for international law and peace and security when quite clearly we haven't been for a very, very long time. All of this, I think, is sinking into a a very wide section of the population and it's underpinning the emergence however slow and painful but the emergence of people who are thinking beyond left right who do recognize that the political center that our existing parties are by and large that's maybe un underestimating it very corrupt um and you know, as I say, you can you can keep uh, you can keep spinning for quite a long time. Um, but the other aspect which you pointed to is is how extreme things are. Again, the plausibility of these things. I mean, we're now with the current global governance issue that has segued from uh, COVID nineteen through to well, that might come back through to climate and so on. With you know, equally kind of. Uh, over the top claims of, I think, uh, I could be wrong on this, but I think the World Health Organization is not starting to talk about um, climate emergency crisis, etc. And and people are seeing through all of that in a way that they did not before. Um, so I think, yes, there is progress. Um, but as we navigate it, to go back to, I guess, to our starting point, we need to keep our eye on both of these problems that we're confronting that are confronting us both the kind of global governance level which again is you know rooted to a quite a large extent in the west certainly if you look at international organizations but also western militarism which i don't think it will happen but it's clearly a risk western militarism taking us into ever greater conflict say if an attack is made on iran um where would that end up russia and china wouldn't stand to one side what about taiwan you know, um, but I'm kind of hoping that there's enough people, level-headed people within the military-industrial complex and within our security architecture who are making points to their superiors that this is crazy territory, um, the direction we're going in. Look at what just happened in Ukraine. You said it'll all be over by Christmas. We would have dem demolished the Russian economy and defeated uh, Russian forces in Ukraine, and that um, has clearly not happened. In fact, quite reverse. Um, so, again, that kind of brute reality of the state the West is in, I think, is is sinking in. And sooner we change course, the better. The longer we stay on this track, the worse it's going to be for us globally um, in terms of our reputation, um, as well as however worse it is for people in the conflict zones that we're fueling and um, continue to fuel. Um, but it's it's going to come to an end at some point. Um, so I think all of these, however diff however dark and difficult these days are, all of these are reasons to be optimistic. And 
you know, as you said, more people have woken up to all these problems uh, um, in, in recent years. So of propaganda, of deception, um, of corruption, politi political and economic corruption that we see. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed that will emerge into a kind of more codified, not codified, but more organized or a stronger, broader kind of aware resistance and globally as well, so that people push back against the kind of globalist agenda, as well as people in the West pushing back against the belligerence of their governments. Um, so it's a I, big fight we're in. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's not going to be over anytime soon, but, you know, we are far from, um, as it were, all hope is lost in this. Um, there is progress, I think. I, I, I'm, I, if if I was a betting man, if I was following the horses, Pierce, I to have a system I stick to, like in sports or horses, which is I, I'm automatically skeptical of whatever the unified narrative is coming out of mainstream media and government, and I always go against it. And I'm batting like a really high batting average. I'm batting about 800 for the last 15 or 20 years. So I'll stick to that system as my default position. And I think I think a lot of our colleagues probably do the same. You're not 100% correct all the time, but you know, you're correct most of the time, but I think it's better that position to be take a skeptical position than to do the other way where, whereby you'll be batting, you know, 2 250 or 300 if you're lucky. So which is good in baseball, but you know, bad in everything else. Um, so I think I think that that healthy skepticism. I think this is becoming more prevalent, peers, because of all these great examples that have been put forth in front of us to show that uh, actually no, uh, you don't have to swallow this whole. Uh, yes, that could be completely fabricated. They have done it before, so those are no longer big revelations for people. And I, I see a lot of young people, peers, that are a lot more street smart um, than I thought they would be actually, and that gives me great hope for the future but uh dr pierce robinson just give us a shout out real quick before we break here for the hour uh, of where the people can find your work follow you and support you go ahead well i'm on twitter uh piers robinson one and i have links to the organizations i mean i, I work with the um, international center for 9-11 justice um we've got a got a broadcast this coming sunday with daniela cancer um talking and also richard folk myself, um, Marilyn Langlois, and also Elizabeth Woodworth. Um, so there's a lot of great work going on there. Also Panda, I'm involved with um, my own kind of projects, organization, propaganda studies, and of course, Propaganda and Focus, um, which is available online and free to access. Um, so I have a lot of lot, lot going on. And also, as you kind of hinted at or suggested, I mean, I'm still working with the Syria OPCW issue. Uh, the ongoing controversy surrounding that with the Berlin Group 21, and that's with Jose Pistani, Richard Falk, and Hans von Schwanick, uh, really trying to get to accountability for the Syria chemical weapons narrative and the deception that has surrounded that. So busy with a lot of things. People can find me. I also have a substack as well. Um, but feel free to check out my Twitter handle, as it were. <clears throat> Yep, Piers Robinson one on X Twitter. Daniel Ganser, author of NATO's Secret Army, the definitive text on Operation Gladio. That's this weekend. Are there, are there links to that on your going to be on your Twitter feed? I, I shall put it on my pinned tweet after this interview. Um, but it's this Sunday, um, and it'll be live streamed. 
Wow, uh, that's one. That's one to not miss. So that's I'll one put that to not miss. My, my my Twitter handle on the pinned. As soon as I'm gone. Piers Robinson, appreciate you joining us on TNT. This has been a very helpful and valuable conversation. Take care in your travels. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Pat. And also thank you to Iada Madurelli, independent journalist from Barcelona, breaking down the propaganda narratives in hour number one. It's been a great broadcast. Pleased to have you guys with us. Thanks to everybody in the TNT chat community. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place.